Hello, everyone. Welcome back to season four of the Working Audio Tools podcast. Technically, last week's episode with Preston Prizzy Reed. If you missed that, that is a wonderful episode. Technically, that was the start of the year episode, therefore, the start of season four. But we'd recorded that months ago and uh, I didn't get to say hello. Happy New Year. So, Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, Paul. Um, this year, we've got some ideas to try and up the game a little bit in terms of educational content. We have some ideas. We are going to get educational. And this week, we are going to dive into vocals. Paul Third is a master of nailing vocal sounds. I've stolen a lot of tips and techniques and tricks off Paul myself, which has greatly contributed to improving uh, all of my mixes since I've robbed these ideas off him. So, Paul today is going to walk us through some of these vocal tip techniques and we're going to share some screencasts and probably listen to some audio examples. We're slightly winging it this week, but we'll have it down for next week. So Paul, break down your vocal um, div- vocal sound from preparation all the way through to processing and finishing. Right. When it comes to vocals for me, all I want to do is to get a consistent sound. Now, the way that I do it, is probably going to be chastised <laughs> by many online because I do basically the same thing every time. You know, I do slight little variations, but I do find the technique that I use kind of works a lot, which makes mixing a lot easier for me because many, in my opinion, if you get the vocal right, the mix will kind of, it will kind of fall into place for you. At the end of the day, if there's anybody who's got an ego when it comes to music, it's going to be the singer. <laughs> so if you, get, <laughs> if you get their vocal sounding right, um, then you should be okay. Now, when it comes to uh, vocals, I always start with cleanup. That's like the main thing for me. At first, when I like get all like all the tracks in, and I've got a rough balance in, the first thing I'm looking for is any nasty resonances, um, or like if there's anything that's just not sounding right. If it's a shitty recording, um, so if it's resonances, I tend to go and pull out a reso by uh, mastering the mix. Um, I used to do it with Fab Filter and do it the manual way where you'd solo things and boost them and it just takes too, way, 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 way too much time. But I do find that the, the algorithm that Tom uses is really, really, really good. So you can just learn it, does its thing, and then it'll kind of take out resonances dynamically for you. But I've I've learned that it's only if I could hear something that's not right. If the vocal sounds right off the bat, then I don't use Rezo anymore. I just kind of let it be. And then um, from there, I will go straight into DSing because every vocal is going to need like some form of DSing in it. It's just it's just the way. Um, every single vocal. I mean, Ed, could you ever think of a time where you've not had to use a DSer on a vocal? Um, to be honest, DSing isn't a go-to staple for me. Oh, I right, only okay. use it if I hear there's a problem. So not every time, but then I do more often than not run through my analog chain for vocals, which has the DBX520 DSer in. But it's more, yeah, do I need it on that one? It's not my staple, definite okay, plug-in now, chain. I'll, well, the reason that I always do DSing before I kind of really do anything else is because when I hit the compression, the S's are always going to come up. And I do quite a lot of heavy compression. So I, the way that I see it is, if I tame the S's prior then yeah. it means that the compression isn't going to bring up those S's as much. So it's kind of, you know, basic, basically in this stage of the mix and my pre-mix, it's all about getting the vocal kind of in a place where it's just cleaned up enough so when I go into the compression, none of the nasty stuff is going to be brought up. 
So that's why, again, if there's resonances, I take them out. If there's S's in there, um, again, even if there's clicks and pops, I'll stick it through RX. I know tons of engineers that will, before they do anything, stick the entire vocal through Isotope RX and do some restoration. It might be clicks, um, mouth de-click. Um, it might be might be noise. Again, if there's noise in there, then again, I'll definitely stick it into RX and do stuff. Um, but in most cases, it's first off, is there any resonances? No. Okay, move on to some DSing. For DSing, I have been using uh, the Smart uh, DS from Sonable. The reason I like to use that is because it's got the, the plosive um, side in it as well. So again, if there is any kind of plosives in there, certain things in there, you know, stuff stuff like that, I'll take kind of some of the transient energy out there again so it's not being going to be enhanced by the compression. And then once it's cleaned up to my liking, then what I do is I stick it through ceilings of sound, which everybody's been waiting on it. The amount of messages I've had about this going, Paul, you need to tell us about ceilings of sound. Basically what I do is I have a, a minus 4.5 slope. Then what I do is I let ceilings of sound listen to the whole vocal, the whole vocal take. Then it'll kind of give me, um, basically calculate and it'll give me like the, the, the ceilings, which is basically the frequency peaks um, that it detects throughout the frequency spectrum. And then what I'm doing with those frequency um, peaks is I, uh, what I'm doing is I'm aligning them to minus 4.5 dB. The reason that I align them to minus 4.5 dB is because that is the slope um, that is the most perceivable or the most closest to how humans perceive audio. And if there's anything that I want in the mix that I want to have that's like fully, really fully perceived by the human ear is going to be vocals. That's the main like focus of the song. This is my ideology behind it. So I'll start off at the fundamental. So say if it's 200 hertz, start at 200 hertz and I'll align the frequency peaks all the way to 1.5k. From 1.5k, I'll adjust that 5, 3, 4k peak to brown noise. So that kind of 3 to 4 to 5k region, which we know, again, if you listen to the Tura episode with Tura Medina, he was talking about how that area you've got to be very careful with because it can get harsh very, very quickly because it's an, a, an area that the human ear is very perceptible to. So I tailor yeah. that to brim noise so it's, it's not as present. Think of like when you're EQing to noise slopes, right? Everything's in relation to the fundamental. So even though it's 1.5k and then like the, the 3 to 5k is like to brim noise, it's still got a relation, harmonically, I suppose. And then I, I don't touch it. I used to then try and put the, the top end to pink noise, but I found that by doing that, it was way, way, way too bright, too much sibilance. It didn't yeah, work. yeah, and very piercing. Yeah. If you do so that. then, right, I'll, I'll then do that, calculate it. I don't even need to listen to it. Then what I do is I print it. And I will print that, and I'll print it three times. And then um, I will discuss a little bit more um, further down the road, because this is a full chain, right? So that's the cleanup side of it. That's all I do, genuinely all I do. Ed, how do you start off a mix when it comes to vocals? Like, what is your cleanup process? So my approach isn't too dissimilar. Um, I don't necessarily start with any noise suppression, though, and I don't always assume that I need a DS. I definitely go in and listen to that. Um, what I have on screen now, though, is a session I did recently. And for anyone looking at the amount of plugins thinking, holy, what is he doing? This was a an all-in-the-box session. 
So I wasn't using any outboard gear that would have been doing the job of some of these plugins. And also I did go a little bit over the top. This is about double what I would normally use, if I'm honest. Um, but first up is actually SmartGate from Sonable. Sometimes I will go in Logic, what you can do is you can press Control or is it Command X, one of them on the vocals, and you can chop out all the space in between the audio to get rid of the breaths. You have to be careful with it. You can chop off the tail ends of uh, phrases um, and you can chop off breaths halfway through, so you have to be careful. But if I can't be bothered doing that, SmartGate is great. That's got the spectral analyzer, which is pretty useful. Then in this session, I do actually have Smart DS because the microphone used on this session was quite cheap. Uh, so there's a lot of harsh sibilance where the microphone capsule is actually kind of breaking down. And I may, before I send this out, go into RX and use that actually, as you've just suggested. That is a good trick. Then it's ceilings of sound. So I've got this to pink noise, which is this gray line here. Now, once you've let I ache ceilings of sound listen to the audio. I don't, you know, I don't have patience to listen to the whole track. I just do like <laughs> a chorus or something. It makes sense because if to listen to at least the verse and the chorus, because the delivery is likely to be lower in the singer's register for the verse, they're likely to be singing quieter, closer to the mic. And then in the chorus, if they go higher in pitch, most singers will go to the back of their throat like that to get the highest higher pitch if they don't have the technique to go higher in chest voice uh so yeah you are right to um analyze more sections uh usually though I, this gets me in the ballpark to start the fundamental of this vocal was about 230 so that point there is the lowest that i've put to the um uh, the pink noise curve and basically you drag all these points up up to uh the white the pink noise line up to about 3k there and the next one is quite high so I've just ignored that. You press conform spectrum ceiling and your EQ then comes out looking like this line here. Now this you can then tailor further so for example if you still got a lot of sibilance you can pull it out here but I generally leave it flat. From there uh, I don't usually have Pro DS but I do in this session again because there was a lot of sibilant problems. Pro Q3 is doing a little bit. This is where I'll do my high pass filtering, a little bit of low end control before compression. Uh, and again, maybe a bit more sibilant control. So I said I wasn't doing much DSing. <laughs> yeah, I am doing multiple <laughs> yeah. stages of it in this track. This is usually a staple about 8 to 10K anyway with a, a dynamic. I don't usually dip there, but often there's a dynamic going on. First compressor is the UAD Tube Tech. I'm going to try and get one or two decibels peak reduction out of this. I'm really not doing much. Then we're going into Soothe 2. And again, more suppression of uh, harshness in the top end. This, this is then where the noise suppression is coming in. Right, so that was how Ed um, cleans up his vocal. Now, as you can see, there's actually a very similar approach. So essentially all we're doing is we are listening to the things that we don't like and then in terms of ceilings of sound, we're then giving the audio a theoretical tonal balance. So everything um, is basically got a relation to each other. All the frequencies are in kind of tonal balance. So from there, what me and Ed would then do and what normally most people would do after cleanup would be compression. Now, We've cleaned up the audio before the compression, so we're not bringing up 
a lot of that nastiness. Okay. And by the way, I forgot forgot to mention because I was uh, when I when you were going through yours, I do a high pass as well. I just use a standard Studio One EQ, and I'll just be a standard high pass filter. Normally, it's around the one eighty to two hundred hertz before the compression. So what I do is I take that and I print it three times. So basically, I've got three cleaned up vocals that are tonally balanced, right? And so what I do from there is I compress them all differently. Whatever compressor I think sims the best will be the one that's going to be the main compressor for um, that vocal. So I'll have one main compressor down the middle, then I'll have the other two acting in parallel, um, left and right, fully left and right. So they're my two parallel compressors. Now, in terms of the compressors that I use, I they're all Tim Petrick, um convolution compressors because Tim P is the man and um, he's the only guy that I know that consistently gets nails the hardware and subject sub, subjectively sims better so the one that normally wins out for me is, is a stay level um, the stay level does exactly what it says on the tin it stays level and it adds this nice kind of weight and girth to vocals no, on male vocals I normally find it's like 9 times out of 10 it works really well, especially on rock vocals. It just gets the vocal to stay level where you can bash it at like you know, 10, 15, 20 dB of compression and it never really sounds compressed. Um, but it really levels out the vocals and it really brings them out. Really, for- It makes the vocals really forward kind of in your face. So it's the stay level and it's also as BA6A. Now many people will know of the BA6A from Acoustica's El Rey, which is very popular. However, El Rey doesn't sound anything like a BA6A. It doesn't actually the, the L-Ray doesn't even compress that much. Tim's is again sampled BA6A. What the BA6A does is it gives you a very kind of mid-coloured sound to it. I actually find it works really well on certain female vocals quite a lot, but it just has this really nice character and colour to it. And again, you could hit it 5, 10, 15, 20 dB of compression, and it never really sims that compressed, levels it out. And then lastly, I've got an LA2A, again, Tim P's LA2. Uh, what I love about LA2A is that it's a bit of a warmer sound, um, but it's definitely got the girth to it. Again, it's like, again, going through the transformers, and it's, I think it's got that transformer bump in it, and it just, whatever it does, it just gives this weight um, more than the stay level. The stay level kind of always manages to kind of really come through the mix. But what I find is that when I go through the combination of those three, one of those compressors will always sound right to my ears. And whatever wins, down the middle, bump, bump. And then after I've compressed them, they then get um, ceilings of sound. So they've got ceilings of of sound before the compression, then the compression, they all get ceilings of sound to then tonally balance them again. So obviously after compression... Right, you're, you've, they're out of balance now because of the compression, and then they get ceilings of sound again using the exact same technique as I showed before. Fundamental to one point five around one point five k, three to five k to brim noise. Leave the top end as is for later on in the chain. And what I find is that with one of them, it'll sound great, but with all three of them, mwah, voila, it's the secret sauce. It's the thing that makes the vocal sound so consistent throughout the entire track it's just these three different levels of compression and how they all do different things combined gives you the just the right amount of color the right amount of forwardness that you want and the right amount of consistency um, and again in terms of the attack and release settings i think i've got the 
the stay level a little bit faster. And again, all the settings are on the screen for you. Because I know all, everybody loves to do the old screenshot and go, yes, save those presets. So you can see the way I set them. And I set them the exact same way. I never change attack and release settings because I've got all these different forms of compression that give me a certain sound that all together create this amazing sounding upfront vocal. And that's how I compress every single mix. And then after that, after normally, after I do ceilings of sound, I'll add a little bit of soothe on the end of it, just to make sure that any kind of harshness that's there, I'm just taming that. And then normally that's my pre-mixing done in terms of like vocals, and then they'll go into the mix session. So in terms of compression, Mr. Thorne, what, what is your flavour? How do you like to do it? Have you got a certain way that you do it all the time? Certain attack and release settings? Like how, how do you see compression when you mix vocals? All right, so I don't have a set formula per se, but I have stolen some ideas from Jason Joshua. So Jason's approach is very much multiple stages of processing, not doing very much to really smooth and even out the vocals. I guess Paul and I, as in typical podcast style, have very different approaches to try and achieve a similar thing. So the first thing I've gone for in this mix is the UAD TubeTech CL1B Mark II. So I'm adjusting this by ear to taste, depending on the vocal delivery. There's no fixed format for me here. And I'm going for one or two, worst case three, but probably one to two dB of compression. From there, then I've got some Sooth 2 going on. Lots in the high end, again, for this mix, for the sibilance. But generally, this is subtly getting rid of some other resonances that I don't like after the compressor. Then we're going into the McDSP MC404. I don't know why they need two names for it. It's a multi-band compressor, and you can set the bands and tailor the bands. And I'm aiming, and this is what I blatantly nicked off Jason, uh, for a gain reduction, an even uniform amount of, across at least these three bands here. So at least across the you know, 100 to 400 hertz, the 400 to 6K, and then ab- above that. So that, in theory, is giving you what I guess Paul is achieving with ceilings of sound again, uh, having a uniform response. Paul's doing it with EQ. Technically, this plugin is doing it with compression. There's one more stage of compression, but before that, on this mix, I have a Marg EQ4. Usually, I would use my Analog 500 series version of this, which I really need to do a shootout on my own channel because the plugin is good. The plugin made me buy the hardware. And I do think the hardware stands up a little bit better. And then finally, I've got the LA-2A, partly for its sound, actually. Again, doing 1 dB of compression here, really trying not to do too much, smoothening out the end of the the phrases. Um, But more so with the LA-2A because it's got quite an expansive sound. And the reason these compressors are so revered on bass and vocals is it just seems to expand the top end and just create this amazing space on sources like no other compressor that I've heard. So I try and use that. Uh, sometimes I use that even when I'm using outboard gear, I'll sneak that on at the end for that exact desired effect. Right. So that's compression. So at this stage, normally what I do is I take that, basically I'll have all my premix done. I'll export the stems, um, tracks, sorry, not stems. I'll export, export all the tracks. And then I'll import them into my 48k mixing session um, on the desktop in my control room. Now, the main aim at this stage for me is to try and get the vocal to sit tonally in the mix, right? So uh, we've done the cleanup 
we've sorted out the dynamics of it so it's nice and level. Now it's all about, right, how do we get the vocal to sit tonally in the mix? Now, many people do this differently. Um, people are going to hate me because I do it the same way every single time. So it's really as simple as taking all three um, of these vocals, centre, left, right. They all go into a stereo um, vocal bus um, and then they will get some uh, ceilings of sound. Again, normally it's not doing much, but again, it's just making sure that everything's hitting the profile. So Hang again, on, from the ceilings of sound for a third time. Yeah, for a third time. Wow, okay. So, um, because we got to remember is you're bringing in three different vocals and as much as I've got these left and rights tucked in the mix, they're still having a little bit of a difference and it's just, I mean, mate, it's tiny, tiny tweaks. Just tiny tweaks and it's just making sure that everything's still hitting that profile the way I like it. Then, what I'll do is I will then have to tackle the high end because what you'll find in every mix is that you're going to need to add quite a bit of top end and vocals. The air, the top end, whatever you want to call it, the sheen is quite important. Right? It's just the way that you need to get a vocal to kind of sit tonally in a mix. I'm still using ceilings of sound, right? But what I'm doing is I'm using it as a, as a guide. Now, what I found is that when you bring up the top end using just EQ on its own. So if I was to do it with ceilings of sound and get the top end to pink noise or get it to like minus 0, 0.5 dB slope, you would I normally find that I need to then use another form of DSing and I've got to use a lot of suppression to kind of counteract a lot of that energy that I've brought in. Now, what Jason and many other mixers do is they will use like saturation. Many people love to do the Dolby A trick, which was essentially using the Dolby a noise reduction and the way that, that it worked a very specific way and there's certain plugins that can do it I use a Sugar from Process Audio because the, the top two bands are basically the Dolby A trick um, and what I do is I just add in the the two top bands till I get the top end on ceilings of sound to hit the minus 4.5 dB slope so essentially I'm using ceilings of sound as a guide as you can see to just get the top end to be in, in kind of tonal harmonic balance. But because I'm using saturation and a little bit of EQ to do it, it's a balance of EQ and saturation, it's not as harsh. Because um, again, when you find that if you add um, like a lot of harmonics into your top end, then things don't sound as harsh. And when many people think about when something sounds harsh, what do you do? You've got cymbals, right? Harsh cymbals. What do people do? They'll stick a bit of lo-fi on it. They'll distort it. They'll saturate it. And that's a little bit of a trick that I learned works really, really well. Because I did a mix for a client, an album, and I was doing the top end to ceilings of sound, um, just using EQ. And when I gave it to Marcel, our in-house mastering engineer, he was like, it's just too, it's too much energy, Paul. A lot of his sibilance is really high up, Paul, and it's in that kind of 10K region, and it's just too bright. And so then when, when the top end's sorted, I th what I'll do is I'll add one little bit of more of added compression uh, it depends what I use um, I quite I've been using the Fairchild just doing a little bit like maybe 1 dB 2 dB absolute max because again I like how the Fairchild adds that little bit of girth and just a little bit of glue and then normally that's normally me that's normally how I get it to sit tonally in a mix because what I do from there is I get everything else to sit around the vocal the vocal's always the same, the, the main prim, primal point of the mix. 
How about you, Ed? How, are you more of an EQ guy or do you do a similar approach with things like saturation? So there's a couple of things I do, actually. Now, one reason, again, I really like the Marg EQ for uh, the 500 series is I really use the 2.5 hertz shelf and the air band gain for getting presence and clarity on vocals in a mix. And usually those two bands really help me get any vocals sitting on top of everything else. Uh, there's a couple of other tricks that I have, which I will share. So in this mix, you'll see that I've got the air band doing actually quite a bit at 20k. There's quite a long, shallow slope, so you get quite a lot of that 20k in infringing, encroaching on down at 10k and a little bit at 2.5. That's helping this vocal sit above everything else. Then I've got the other compressor, as I mentioned, and then Spectre. This plugin is genius. I give a full walkthrough of this in the first video on our YouTube channel in episode one of season three. And this is similar to what Paul's talking about in that I'm adding harmonics at different frequency ranges. Now this works similar to the Carnaby 500 series module from Cranbourne in that it's a, basically it's, it's a parametric EQ, but for harmonics, obviously you're not taking away harmonics, you're only adding, so I can't pull this uh, down. For example, I can only put it up. So this again is similar to the Marg, it's helping me add harmonic presence that isn't harsh and isn't necessarily gain at different frequencies, but it's more presence. This plugin works great on vocals especially, but also on bass, even on whole mixes. And again, I've gone in a little bit uh, at 300, 350 there to add some warmth. The other way I will add warmth to a vocal, this is a technique I did steal from Paul, is I have various um, parallel sends going on. So I've band passed just the frequencies I want to compress on this parallel send. Now, this is the main parallel send that I will bring in for a chorus. So typically when the singer goes higher in the register and often moves the sound to the back of the throat like that, you'll lose a lot of the richness in the low end. So what I've done here is isolated the frequency range that I want to then boost in the chorus as her register's gone up. And then I've put that through a... Fairchild compressor as well, uh, and there's a really nice setting on this which uh, I've I've not loaded. There is a preset called Warmth, Warm Rock, I think, that basically I've I've ripped off. I mean, I'm not really doing anything; it's more going through. But that is getting maybe minus 10 dB of compression there, so it's kind of hard. It's quite level, and that the the Fairchild itself adds quite a lot of warmth to that already mid rangey. Um, pathway signal path because I've EQ'd it like that. I do also do the dual stereo parallel compression technique that Paul uses and for this I've got quite a dirty sounding LA1176 uh, and also the LA3A. I adjust those to taste in terms of how much compression I want so they're doing a similar amount of compression each and then I will adjust those as you can see uh, to taste there in terms of level so obviously that LA3A is doing a lot of uh, peak reduction at 10, so I've got a lot more output gain. Now, I've used channel fader gain there rather than op-amp gain out of the compressor, uh, again, because that gets very colourful. So I'm using the gain, the makeup gain, to taste depending on how gritty or gnarly I want something to sound. And if I need more volume, as I did in this track, because I didn't want it too dirty as a dance track, I wanted it quite clean, I've gone for fader level over output gain. So to get presence in the track, I am using a combination of the Marg Spectre 
and also the parallel compression. Having them panned hard left and right, I thought was a crazy idea. I was like, why is Paul doing that? But it really does something. And again, you can automate those uh, to come up, maybe 10 dB in the chorus. 10 dB sounds quite a lot, but they're already going to be you know, quite far back, maybe minus 20 dB compared mm. to the main channel in the first place. So if you bring them up 10 dB, because they're in parallel, it's not actually coming through as 10, a 10 dB rise in vocal level, but it's just bringing some more forwardness to the vocal to keep it on top of uh, an orchestration-wise, probably a more denser, louder part of the mix. And Spectre, again, I cannot highlight how, <laughs> how good that plugin is. Right, now, what Ed has talked about there in regards to parallel compression has a lot to do with how you go about getting the vocal to be up front in the mix, right? How Because obviously there's a tonal side of it and there's more of a kind of um, how you get the, the vocal to actually punch through the mix and be kind of centre focus. Parallel compression is um, really the main way that I know a lot of mixers do it. But another um, thing that I do quite a lot is I um, will do some side-chaining. Um, so normally what I will do is I will use Fuser. I was using Track Spacer before this. Um, but I, I tend to do um, Fuser now because I do think it's better than Track Spacer. And what I'll do is I will... I've got an instrument bus. So all the keys, the guitars, pianos, fucking whatever, all the instruments go to this one bus. And because all obviously when you think about instruments, they're, they're very obviously normally very mid rangey, which is fight, fighting with your vocal. So what I'll do is um, on that bus, I will stick fuser and I'll side chain that to the vocal. And then what I like about fuser is it'll decide where it's going to take or kind of duck the the most prominent frequency clashing out. Normally it takes um, it ducks out of the mid channel, which actually I think works very well because again. If you think about normally where you've got your instruments panned, you want them out of the way of the vocal. So if you take it out of the centre channel, then it allows that vocal to kind of sit forward, but your side signal is actually kept. Yeah, without diminishing the width of the track. Correct. Um, So I do that quite a lot, and I do find that there's the right amount of frequency clashing. Now again, you don't need to do it via sidechain ducking like track spacer or fuser. You could do it with just good old EQ. Um, again, there's Sonics Claro and stuff like that. Um, and again, Smart EQ. I think the thing with Smart EQ that I always wanted to do was to have the group EQ. I need to try it on Smart EQ 4. I don't know if it does it. But what used to annoy me was to have a grouping function in Smart EQ, which you could set your priority. So you could have your vocal priority 1 and say like your instruments or whatever, like priority 2. Um, and it will kind of take out some of the frequency clashing. However, from what I know, you need to press calculate, and it, so it, it needs to be at, smart EQ needs to be doing something. And so, say if you say it's a vocal in preset or whatever, um, then what I'll do is I'll change the frequency response, and it'll adapt that kind of target in with the frequency clashing. Where if it just did it on its own, I think it'd work quite well. But I find that um, Fuser works really well over EQ. I think dynamically makes more sense. Um, in my head um, so I normally find that when you just get the right amount of ducking and frequency clashing out there all of a sudden the vocal just sits a little bit more forward in the mix because less stuff is getting in the way do you do anything else Ed in terms of getting the vocal to sit up front in the mix do you do stuff like that with sidechain um, ducking or again just like uh, frequency clashing 
Yep, absolutely. Similar thing. I hadn't thought of using Fuser for that, as always, learning something from you. But um, that is a good idea. I do something slightly different, but again, uh, basically with the same effect. So, so on my All Instruments bus, uh, which goes along with an All Vox bus and usually an All Effects bus, that then go into a pre-master before that goes out to my stereo out. Um, I have a instance of Soothe, and that is not doing very much, but that's set to quite sharp uh, selectivity points, um, working quickly and releasing quickly to get rid of any kind of piercing sounds, particularly with guitar distortions, for example. Now that, I've got it covered basically, as you can see, on the entire vocal frequency range from 250 up to 16K really is where, where I think you're going to hear it being effective. So as you can see, that's doing a reasonable amount. Now, three minus 3 dB might sound like a lot, but it's very quickly going and very quickly releasing. So that's doing one layer of kind of resonant control against the vocal. And the other thing that I'm doing is more of an umbrella complete uh, sidechain is Pro-Q3 and I'm dropping the instrument bus as much as a dB but never more than that. This is quite extreme even for me um, to have a full dB going where between this band here it's dropping the instrument bus down a decibel but only when the vocals are performing. Now I can, as soon as I learned this trick I really tuned into how many people use this in mixers and you can hear things ducking out of the way. It might just be applied to say a piano or it might be applied to the whole mix or it might just be applied to a guitar. But once you try this, you'll love it because it really does help. Oh yeah, and fun tip for anyone who is using Pro Q3 and you're side chaining, what you absolutely have to do is when you've got your point selected, your frequency band to be side chained, you have to select that blue button there. <laughs> took me a while before I realized oh, things aren't doing anything. You have to press that and that activates uh, the sidechain. Sounds obvious, but I missed it for a long time. So actually, Paul's just given me a really good idea there. What I need to do is at the moment that uh, sidechain filter in Pro-Q3 is actually set to stereo and I really should be doing that in mid-side and just have it focusing on the middle. So again, I've learned something from you, Paul. I will do that before I send that mix to the client. <laughs> Um, and, and probably the last thing in terms of getting the vocal to sit um, up front in the mix um, is something really simple and it's genuinely just fader and automation. So many times you could sit there and go, oh no, I need to change the frequency response. I need to do an EQ. I need to add a bit of saturation. I need to do this, that, that, and that. And that. I'll, sometimes it could just be a case of going, right, your, your vocal is like just a dB too quiet and it just needs a dB. Like level could be honestly your 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 master fixer um now something that um i use quite a lot normally just to see how it sounds and normally it does kind of do the job is i will use mix monolith for getting the final vocal level but because normally i like to use mix monolith for other things normally the levels sit quite well i still use my ears at the end of the day and i still use reference track when i'm listening to spike stent records and stuff like that and i'm referencing whatever i'm referencing i'm always listening to the vocal level and then at the end, near the end of the mix, or maybe 75% of the way through, I'll stick it through Ozone and just use the vocal balance that it's got in there, but I'll just kind of give you a little tick <laughs> if the vocal's like too loud or too quiet. Um, if it's perfect, I'll give you a little tick. 
Um, so there are certain things that I do just to make sure that the vocal level is right because that is so, so important. And um, automation, I, I normally find that I'm listening to the song and I'm thinking, right, is that phrase loud enough in the mix? And a lot of the times it'll just be clip gain um, or it might be automation. Obviously, you've got to be careful which way you do it. Now, the good thing about automation is that it's a post fader. So if you use clip gain, that's going before your chain. Um, so you've got to be very careful because that can affect your compression, that can affect other things. So if you, so again, there's two ways of doing it. If you want to affect um, the compression slightly different, then again, clip gain can actually work quite well. It's got a sound. Um, or again, you could just set up, as I said, like a, like a VCA fader. Or again, you could just automate the vocal bus or whatever you want to do. Um, and normally I find that just automation is just like the final thing that just makes the vocal just sit right. Because genuinely you could have one, just one couple of phrases that just tuck a little bit. It might be a certain part of the production um, and like a, an instrument comes in or there's a certain sound that gets in the way of that line or phrase and you're just bringing that up and it's you're just listening to the track and the whole time I'm just sitting there thinking, right, can I hear that? Sometimes I might want a certain phrase to be a little bit louder and, and actually like, right, okay, I actually want this line. This line's quite important. Maybe just bring that up an extra dB or a half a dB. And you're just kind of playing about. On most mixing sessions, you will find a crap ton of automation on most pro mixers sessions. And for anybody asking, um, at the very end of my chain, I've always got Soothe. Again, like Ed, it's just, it's actually Jason Joshua preset. I'll put it on the screen. It's genuinely just doing a final touch because I've got ceilings of sound. Um, sorry, because I've got um, sugar adding a little bit of top end. Again, it's just going forward a little bit and just kind of almost using Soothe as a safety net. Sometimes I think Soothe could be quite good for that, just in case you've went a little bit too much. It's a little bit of a safety net. If you don't have an in-house mastering engineer like we're fortunate enough to have with Marcel at Actu Make with the working audio tools, DistroKid have you covered. For just $99 a year, you can buy unlimited mastering for all of your tracks in tandem with unlimited releases via DistroKid. Mixair from DistroKid uses AI technology to measure the EQ and the dynamics of your track and then present you with numerous options to tweak and customize your master. You can flip between the original and the generic mastered option. Blame it on the whiskey. Blame it on the bad weed. So instantly we can hear that's making the track louder and it's also slightly flattening the EQ, bringing in a little bit more of the mid-range and of course the top end. We can adjust the intensity, which is how much compression and limiting is being applied to the track. Blame it on the only thing you've ever seen Run and tell your mother Blame it on your brother I think somewhere in the middle works for this track. And the EQ options are self-explanatory. We can make the track effectively duller or brighter.
Download your mastered track and release it as easily as you do all of your other unlimited uploads. Get 30% off your DistroKid subscription using the Working Audio Tools VIP link below. So think about what we've done so far. We've cleaned up the vocal, we've compressed it so the dynamics are right. Um, so you're not, this is not sounding jumpy, it's nice and forward and uh, up front. Um, tonally, we've got it to sit well in the mix. And then we've managed to get the vocal to sound nice and up front. So like up front and kind of centre in the mix. However, what you could then find when you've done that is that the vocal starts to sound disjointed. Now, it's <laughs> I've always found this quite funny because it, the vocals are this kind of weird psychoacoustic thing where it's like you get the vocal sitting up front, but then what you've got to do is you've got to set the vocal back in the mix. So the vocal has to be up front and like the kind of most prominent part but it's still got to blend with the rest of the track because this, you'll find this is where we get into genre specific so if you listen to hard rock stuff the vocals are so embedded in the vocals they're almost behind the guitars compared to pop stuff which i think is the context you're working in well no i would disagree there because i would say that on every single mix that i've ever seen right regardless of genre there are reverbs there are delays there are little effects um, that are tucked because what I find is that even on records where the vocal sounds really up, really super up front, it's not disjointed from the mix. And what I find is the subtle use of effects, reverbs, and delays. Even if you think a vocal is just pure dry, it's never. I, I don't know many records where the vocals are dead on pure dry. Even though it sounds up front, there will be layers of reverb and delay somewhere. They'll be tucked in. It might be choruses. It might be like harmonizers, doublers. There'll be effects used. You want it to do that, but you kind of want it to do that as well. Almost like it's swimming. You want it to be forward, but he still has to sit in the track. Because when I hear mixes from like people starting out and they don't have the effects right, and again, it's not enough. To me, a vocal can sound disjointed from the track because it's too up front. So it's getting that balance. You've got to push forward to kind mm. of push back a little bit. And I know it doesn't, for many people starting out, it'll sound quite odd what I'm saying. But yeah, you do have to get the vocal up front, but you still have to get it embedded in the track. And the way that I do that is by using multiple reverbs, some delays, um, and sometimes some other tricks if I need to. But in most cases, um, what I do in pre mixing, I will print um, three different um, reverbs now these are Tim Petherick convolution reverbs and what I do is I just print them and it's the same setting every time and then I'll just process it print it so I'll have a small verb a medium verb and a large verb and they're all a room sound so all sound like they're in a room so then when I get to the point in the mix where I'm like yeah everything's kind of sitting right I'll just kind of then just blend these three in so it's kind of giving and again it's very very subtle but what I find is it really helps like a really kind of subtle room sound just helps a vocal to just embed itself in. It's almost like the psychoacoustic thing. I don't know what it's doing. Maybe it's like if it's like something to do with phase or anything like that, but it just helps the track embed itself a little bit. And then I'll use kind of some longer reverbs, some kind of bigger. So I will have normally have a big reverb and I'll have some slight slap back. Um, and then I'll have like some kind of six I'll normally have eighth note and sixteenth note delays. And some, and again, I'll just I'll um, I'll take them in and out of the track. Sometimes I might feel that the bridge needs a little bit more of the eighth note. Sometimes it might be the sixteenth note. Again, I'll listen to the rhythm of the track. And again, normally in the choruses, I'll normally add the big verb for the choruses because you want the chorus to lift. 
Um, and the way that I found to get the right balance of all this is, especially on headphones, is to use stuff like um, desonic real phones so you can get a good impression of how it's going to translate to speakers. So um, it's less prominent in headphones, which normally means that um, you, on speakers, a lot of effects done by headphone mixers are normally sound too much on speakers. Um, so it's all about having references. And I always find that if you're a speaker guy, girl, them, they, whatever, right? a person, an engineering person, uh, if you're doing it in speakers, always reference on headphones because at the end of the day, you want to have that translation. It's very important in how the effects sit uh, and how that translates. So focus on different st- types of reverbs and delays and just play about with the depth, right? Because you're tr- with the reverbs, you're playing with depth all the time. Um, you, can, you can add a little bit of width in there as well. And with the delays, delays have always been a bit of a feel thing for me. Sometimes it could be a creative thing where you just kind of might have a dead spot in the mix and maybe like a slapback delay or maybe like a throw delay might just be that thing that just kind of helps it's just that dead space just sit in. Um, and I still play about with it and I still find I'm tweaking um, the effect side of it because it is sort of genre specific and you've got to be very, very, very careful because certain artists might not like the effects if you go too over the top with it. So... Yeah, that's basically everything that I could think that I do on vocals. What's your technique um, or approach? <clears throat> I don't believe in vocal doubling with plugins. I've I've tried them, I've used them, I just don't feel they work. They cause phase shifting issues in my experience. Um I will generally keep the vocals clean of any kind of chorus or whatever else you might want to <laughs> apply at this stage. But my vocal effect process is similar to yours in that I will have a short reverb or a small one and then usually a longer one and then I'll tackle one or two different effects slash delays and I've been using Baby Audio spaced out for that. That's got some really Mm. creative and cool features for getting funky little um, sparkly delays and things. You know, you can set different rhythms comeback, the comeback kid I've, no, I remember I was using that for a little while and I forgot all about it that's another good one from Baby Audio because you can get kind of 80s kind of kind of delay sims from that it's yeah that, that, is, that is another good one um, for, for delay but what I like about Spaced Out is I can uh, dial in how much reverb I want to send the delay to as well mm-hmm. which is a, a great trick rather than just having short sharp repeats of notes you can wash them out with reverb and i might do that manually as well more often than not i'll do that manually so it's yeah it's kind of using effects to taste but i think more about i don't think about having a vocal in a room so i'm not thinking well this first reverb is the close mic and that reverb is the distant mic in the same room i'm just going off what i think works with that vocal what sonic texture i'm wanting whether it's felt more than heard particularly with the short reverb, same with snare drum. The short reverb for me has got to be about creating body and girth rather than necessarily being heard. The longer yeah, that's one... Felt. See, see, see the three ones I use, the Tim Patrick ones, like those short hauls, short, medium and long. That's, it's, I never really ever want it to be heard. It's, I just feel it. I just hear something in the track and it just it gives you that kind of little bit of depth. So you're right. I think it's like... It's that balance, isn't it, of kind of sitting there thinking, right, I, I want it to be felt, but I want this to be heard. And it's choosing those moments 
of when you want it to be felt and when you want something to be yeah, felt. Yeah, exactly. And automation's your best friend for that. Um, so it, I'm not thinking of, right, I, I want this band to sound like they're in the same room because I'm not mm -hmm. thinking a song needs to sound like it's a live gig. They're going to go and tour and do that anyway. Um, but I'm trying to figure out ways of getting things to blend back in the track and with each other. Backing vocals are an interesting one. I will always have a completely different reverb for backing vocals. And that's usually with a longer pre-delay, a longer decay to make them feel like they're further back, you know, back on stage. So I am thinking from a stage <laughs> mentality to an extent. Uh, but again, that's just creating depth and space. So similar approach, but slightly different reason why I'm doing it, I think. Hopefully similar results. So on those bombshells, hopefully you've got a lot out of that. I know a lot of those techniques from Jason, Joshua and Paul that I've learned this year have been incredibly useful and really helped me step up the consistency of my mixes, which I think is one of the most important and often overlooked, under-discussed topics of mixing. Uh, alongside gain staging, consistent vocals go a long way uh, to helping with a consistent sound for clients and your own repertoire. Paul, would you like to sign it off? This episode has been a long one. If you've got this far, thank you yeah. for listening. <laughs> thank you to DistroKid, who is still sponsoring the podcast. It's been emotional. We will be back with more techniques on different instruments in coming weeks. I think what I would like to end with is just to, you know, remind everybody that, yes, right, I know there is no audio examples in this, and people will be like, where are the audio examples? Right. See all this, right? What I want you to take from this is that they're just ideas and all these ideas are only important for when you're in the mix you have your own ears right just because we do things a certain way doesn't mean it's going to work for you what we've shown you is a chain it's all a chain of things that work together and work for us if you try something that we've done in a different chain it might not work right so what I would say is take them all as ideas. You don't need audio examples. All you need to do is just go, hmm, I might try that. I might try that. Because guess what? In this podcast, a lot of the things that me and Ed have done have just been listening to each other's mixes and going, hmm, I quite liked what you did there. I'm going to try that out and I'm going to do my own methods for it. So again, right, we just because <laughs> we'll still get chastised in the comments from people. Right, audio examples, they're just, they're not that important. They're just all about ideas. It's all theory. It's all things that you could put into practice. So my advice is try a few things out and don't be afraid to experiment. Do things differently from what we've done it. That's what mixing is all about. It's all about experience. It's all about practice. And hopefully we have given you a few extra things that you could experiment and practice with. We've basically just given you um, years and fucking years <laughs> of like all the things that we've learned. Um, Half a part of me was like, I don't even want to share it. It took me years to learn all this. I'm surprised but, you shared as much as you did, Paul. I know, I know. <laughs> By the end of the day, that's what the podcast Great is about. Value, Va value yeah. for no money. Value for money. It's about um, you know sharing experiences and helping everybody out on the journey. So that's how we leave it. Yes, it's been emotional. I have just shared all of my fucking secrets, <laughs> all of my vocal secrets. Um, but you know, it might not work for you. You might not even like the sound of my vocals so it is what it is so yes there you have it long episodes please like subscribe do what you need to do do all the great things if you really liked it um, consider putting a super thanks there you have it my name is Paul Third. that's Ed Thorne and we'll see you again next week <laughs>